The triumphant entry, here it is. Look at this <laughs> happening in front of us. Everybody loves to be called out. Everybody would like to come in up here front one by one. Let everybody see you. <laughs> hey, it's uh, my favorite uh, time of the year. I, 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 have, I was telling the first service, I feel God's presence so much more intimate during this season uh, of the year because this is the climax of building up to the resurrection, resurrection weekend, and then the 40 days that Jesus walked the earth in his resurrected body. To me, that's just, it's just a powerful moment. It's, it's a time where uh, I was telling some guys before service that this is when God called me into ministry. He was, I was going into this time of seeking him and spending time with him, getting away and alone with him, just to hear his voice on what he had. I was in that season where like, I don't even know why I exist. Like, I don't even know what I'm here to do. I don't even know what my purpose is. I don't know what, what I'm supposed to be doing. And that floundering season that most of us go through. Some of you have probably been blessed to not go through that, but many do as young adults. And I was away with the Lord, and I, I was staying at my grandparents' lake house one night on the way to uh, out of town. And uh, that was the place where God had, I had been led to the Lord a few years before that. My grandmother led me to the Lord out there. And then I was sleeping, and in my dream, I was sleeping and so it was like a, it was super rest. Like you're sleeping inside of your sleep, you know you're getting that, that magnified rest. So I was having a dream in my dream, and my grandmother was standing over me praying in tongues. And I woke up in my dream, and I said, Grandmother, what are you doing? And she said, I'm praying for your pastoral obedience. And then I woke up for real, and I'm like, <laughs> I am not telling my grandmother that. She will start praying that. I'm not going to do it. And, and then it was an intense week to follow, and here we are, here we are. And so it's amazing how uh, when God speaks, he just begins to move, and he begins to move your life into the direction that he desires, especially as we come into agreement with him. There's a key in that. And so I don't know if you know that God speaks to you. Uh, I want to encourage you to know that he does speak to you, and if we will be obedient, believe, and then obey then you'll start to see your life flourish and he will begin to bless the hands, that your hands as the things that he puts your hands to. And so, and I want to say that because we're, we're on Palm Sunday and this is the triumphant entry. A lot of times I give points and, you know, give you some three points to go home with and work on. But today I felt like I was going to give you three days. So I was going to give you three moments that happened within the three days of the beginning from Palm Sunday till Tuesday on 2,000 some odd years ago when Jesus walked the earth. And so I, the, the, in Reza, you know, you don't see, this is probably the only palm you'll see, uh, palm plant. You saw some in the graphics, but the reason is you guys came in with the palms. You came in with the palms on your hand. We, didn't, we don't need plants. You guys have the palm fronds connected to your body, and there's a purpose for that. As you'll see in this message, that it's an anticipation, it's an expectation for those who belong to the Lord when we're coming in and we're worshiping, we're praising Hosanna in the highest. Here comes the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So I'm waving my palm fronds, and you'll see how biblical it is for us to wave our palms 
before the Lord in worship. So I want to take you through that triumphant entry, those first intense three days. And so day one is this. It is this Passion Week. It's the, known as the Triumphant Week, the, the entry of Jesus on the foal of a donkey. And Jesus begins his trip this way into Jerusalem. He tells two of his disciples to go ahead and find a donkey and it's full. It's colt, a little donkey. And he says to untie them and bring them to him. And if the owner says anything, let, them, let the owner know the Lord needs it. And so this all takes place, and he does, and they do, and they bring back the, the donkey, the foal, and Jesus, they, they put their coats on the back of the, the little colt, and there Jesus hops on for his journey to ride into the town. They come into the city of Bethphage. That's where, he, that's where he entered, and he sent his disciples in preparation for riding in to Jerusalem. So Jesus mounts up, rides in, and this is all fulfilling of a prophecy of over 500 years. There was an anticipation of God's people that these very events would take place, and because of the oppression that they had been under, they longed for it with great expectation. And the reason I want to emphasize this is we ought to know when Jesus enters the room and in worship, and we are expecting, we come in with great expectation, and when we know that we are in the presence of the Lord, Hosanna, I'm lifting my palms unto the Lord and worship to him. But in this messianic prophecy, Zechariah 9.9, here's what it says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was expectation. There was, they knew, the Hebrews knew that this was going to take place at some point, hoping that it would be a near moment. They had been under oppression after oppression after oppression, and they were sick of it. Surely our king is going to rise up, and when he does, there will be a militant uprising. Surely that when the king who must come from the lineage of David, who is the man of warfare, with blood on his hands, yes, though he had a heart for God and our heart after God's own heart. Surely, because this man came from David, there must be an uprising. There must be a militant formation. There must be strict structure put to our people, God's people, so that we can move forward and overtake this Roman Empire, these oppressors, this government entity that is controlling our lives. I just want to try to bring some application to this today for you. So the crowds are welcoming him by waving their palm branches. Look at John 12, 13. It says, took branches of palm trees, the people did, and went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. 
All people were starting to emerge and rise up because they were expecting this moment. They needed this moment. And this was a very controversial moment. Zephaniah 3.14 says this, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. And this is what they were anticipating. This militant army was going to rise up and cast out their enemy once and for all. They were sick of this oppression by the Romans. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall suffer no more. You shall see disaster no more. Oh, it's about to get real. Our king is riding in. Hosanna. Hosanna. The king is here. The king of the Jews is arising. It is tense. And let me tell you, I'm certain that the Romans were expecting this too, because I have no doubt that when the Romans were neglecting and mistreating the Jews, that one or multiple Jews would pop off and say, you wait till our king arises. You wait till our king gives here. You wait to see what happens when our king is in your face. I'm certain these things took place. Psalms 118, 26 says this, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But what, what is the significance for you and I today? And in order to understand that, I want to break down some of the cultural, the political, the economic, the, what was going on in that moment in that specific time, in that specific day. The Roman Empire was, was occupying force of this region of the world. That for centuries, the Jewish population had been oppressed by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greek, and now the Romans. Like, I'm sick of this. You brought me out of Egypt for this? Through the wilderness for this? It's oppression after oppression after oppression after oppression. And that yet there's prophecies that say our king surely will be coming and he'll be riding on a donkey and surely there will be no more enemy before us. This would be our deliverer, a deliverer from the lineage of David himself. There were a, a group of people who were so committed to the ways of God and resisting Roman, uh, Roman occupation, that they will commit any act of violence or fight to fight Rome and usher in this kingdom of God. They were focused on the kingdom of God entering in their way, the way that they had interpreted the prophecies, the Old Testament. They, were, they said that they, surely they knew that when the kingdom of God would come in, it would be led by this Messiah who will vanquish the evil empire and bring reign in peace. These people were called the zealots. You see, these people were actually misinterpreting the prophecies of the Old Testament, looking past the first coming in anticipation of the second coming. 
when Jesus would ride in on the white horse and on his thigh would say the king of kings and the Lord of lords and he would come out with a sword and it was time for real war and there better not be an enemy before him and they would all be pushed out. This was the focus of the zealots. They were taking every prophecy about the Messiah coming, looking past the first and into the second. And so when the zealots saw this, this was their expectation. Oh, he's about to get off this donkey at some point, some point and find a white horse and pull out that sword. It's going down. Amen, Amen right? The, today, these people would call, be seen as religious terrorists of our day. They were, they were known to use a curved dagger called a sicca to assassinate Romans and Jewish collaborators with Rome. They weren't messing around. They were, they were sick of it. They were sure that they should not be in bondage. And they were sick of paying taxes to these pagan people who were controlling them, manipulating them, deceiving they were sick of the oppression. Interestingly enough, though, Jesus had two of these people as two of their tw his 12 disciples. One was Simon the Zealot. There's no doubt about that. He was extremely zealous. But the other was Judas Iscariot. And this, this name, Iscariot, literally means Sicari, which means dagger men known because they were men who carried daggers and they weren't messing around if any Roman was caught any Roman warrior was caught as an oppressor and they were found alone oh they were going they were these zealots were taking them out and if you were a Jew and you were collaborating with these Romans don't get caught slipping cuz you're going to get taken out as well this was the heart of these zealots and get this, the symbol of the zealot movement was the palm branch. Oh, it just got tense. Because no king should ever rise up against Caesar, right? And so waving palm branches in the view of the Rome was a capital offense as it was seen as a symbol of insurrection against the Roman Empire. Not only did they know, the Roman soldiers know, at some point, they, these Jews, these crazy folks, think that Zechariah 9.9 is going to be fulfilled. Now this symbolism of this man who calls himself the King of Kings, the Messiah, is riding in on a donkey, and these people are responding with these symbols of zealot, zealot uprising symbols of the palm branches waving in the air before all people, all Jews, which would ignite a movement and in the face of the Roman oppressors. Oh, it's tense. Remember, one of the threats the religious Jews made towards Pontius Pilate was about Jesus claiming to be a king in competition against Caesar. In John 19, it says, if you let this man go, these are the religious people talking to Pontius Pilate. If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself king speaks against Caesar. Oof. It's like, I, I'm, I'm darned if I do and I'm darned if I don't. I'm in this tense moment where there's, a, there's insurrection at hand, but what do we do to move in? So Jesus, as, so as Jesus enters, what is taking place is rebellion against the empire in the highest order.
But something else was taking place as well. It was the Jewish Holy Week or Passover. Four days before Passover, Jews would select a lamb. That's today, Palm Sunday. This would be the day, four days before the, the Passover lamb was taken in for sacrifice. Every Jewish family would go out and choose a perfect lamb so they would bring it into their home and they would care for it, tend to it, prepare it for that day. And here is the sacrificial lamb riding into the home of the Jews, Jerusalem, four days before Passover on Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, Jesus and his disciples spent the night in Bethany, a town about two miles east of Jerusalem. And this is where Lazarus, whom Jesus had just raised from the dead not long before, where he lived in his sisters Mary and Martha. So the disciples would go out and they would stay and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus would tend to Jesus and his disciples. And it was already a hot topic because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and the Pharisees didn't even like that. Yet it's this same man now riding in on a donkey and people are saying they're laying down their coats and they're laying down palm fronds and they're waving palm fronds and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And everybody's starting to get in. The zealots are starting to come out. And those who have had fear after fear, worry after worry, tired of oppression, angry, sick of it, sick of what the government is doing. They're thinking that this is the time when militant Hebrews are going to rise up because there's a Messiah that's riding in. Is it going to orchestrate an army? They're thinking. So the family would bring in the lamb into their house and raise it before sacrificing it four days later and finding salvation through its bloodshed as it was depicted in the deliverance, the picture, the symbolism, in the deliverance from Egypt. Damon, would you help them? And so, here we are, this picture of a spotless lamb being brought in. Thank you, Jesse. Being brought in, taken care of. Jesus is entering in. As the family would bring them in, their understanding is they would find an atonement. They would find forgiveness. All this is building up. So simultaneously, you have two events clashing together. You have an ancient holiday about deliverance. Oh, and it is in their system of thinking. This is what they've known for thousands of years because of what has taken place this week in Egypt, bringing the people, as, G as God was bringing in the 10 tests and finally said, hey, take a spotless lamb, each one of you households, and slaughter it and put the blood over the doorpost so when the death angel comes over, you will, no one will be touched in your house. This was this week, the celebration this is why they were bringing in a spotless lamb in remembrance and forgiveness. 
for atonement. And yet it's the same thing. An ancient holiday about deliverance and a political insurrection ready to welcome the coming deliverer who will free the Jews from the oppression of the Roman occupation. It's tense. Memorial, deliverance, Passover, political insurrection, insurrection because there's a king, the Messiah is riding in on the foal of a donkey and the people are laying down their homes all on selection day, today. And Rome was very aware of messianic prophecies. They knew that the coming Messiah was to enter in on a donkey through a gate in Jerusalem called the Sheep's Gate. Many messiahs, in fact, had ridden in on donkeys on this time, at this time, through the Sheep Gate, and Rome had killed every one of them because they were a threat. So they were well aware of the conditions and the situation and the circumstance of this moment. Now, the occupied population is waving palm branches as a, as a symbol of the coming insurrection. A man is being welcomed by them riding on a donkey according to ancient prophecy and is entering into the city through the sheep gate. All while these zealot masses are chanting Hosanna, Hosanna, which literally means save us now. Oh, it's so tense in that room. So tense in, in Jerusalem. So much, so much building up and so much, oh, what's going to happen? What is it going to do? What are we going to do? Rome is nervous. The people are hungry for war. They can taste freedom from Rome. The, this is against the backdrop of their oldest feast, which was a symbol of deliverance. There's too much now this whole anticipation and idea of deliverance and a king is at hand and nothing else is being thought of. The Jews are anticipating that this warrior king is rising up and it's time to assemble that the thousands of years, the hundreds of years of expectation has now come and it is time to assemble our army and finally we're going to defeat our oppressors. They thought. And this is... a. And, and now they chose their symbol of this victory. They chose the lamb. On selection day, they thought they were choosing the king, but they chose the lamb. And the religious leaders of the Jews call this to stop. Luke 19, 38, 40 says, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They didn't like that the Messiah was riding in. They weren't wanting the Messiah to ride in, and they certainly weren't going to accept the Messiah to look like this. Oh, it was a threat. But he answered to them, said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, these stones would immediately cry out. Oh, Jesus is going to be worshiped. Jesus is going to have a people who are willing to wave their palm fronds before him in worship. And in fact, will put their palm hands, their hands to the good work in which he has called them 
to do. Oh, he will have some people to rise up if you cause these to stop. But while everyone is shouting Hosanna and celebrating insurrection, joining the zealots in their desire for the, uh, for the conquering Messiah, Jesus weeps. His tears are for the whole city, according to Luke 19, because he understands that the peace they desire won't come from conquering the occupying empire. And so many times we think if the government would just do this or don't do that. You notice Jesus never, never confronts, corrects, or tries to condemn the government or entities at hand in the Bible. Jesus is always focused on ridding the world of religiosity and infiltrating it with his truth, his kingdom, and as a byproduct, it will change every other entity and domain that we get so focused on changing, yet we refuse to go about it his way. Isn't it interesting that we see Jesus begin to infiltrate something in plain sight? It's hidden in plain sight. Isn't it interesting how it seems like culture and the government is obviously hiding things in plain sight? They couldn't even see what was going on. Couldn't even fathom what Jesus was trying to do. They were heart set on the way this thing should happen. Hmm. It will come, he thinks in his heart, from the sacrifice of a lamb that brought deliverance thousands of years before. In the same way, the symbolism of the, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost door brought salvation and deliverance, so would the blood of this lamb. It will come through the blood, the shed blood of one who will lay down his life for the whole household to be delivered. This was the teaching of the Exodus. It was the, the celebrated Passover that they were in. And the crowd was cheering for their conquering Messiah. Here it is. Time to rise up. But the lamb, but on the lamb selection day, they had really just chosen their sacrificial lamb. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. They thought they were thinking they were thinking about a Messiah, the king, who's going to raise up an army, but instead they were praising because now we have found the sacrificial lamb. And they didn't even know what they were doing. And they welcomed this lamb into their home, and four days later, every one of them would participate in the slaughter of this lamb because he wasn't the king that they anticipated. On day two, on Monday, Jesus clears the temple Mark eleven twelve 12 says this, now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples Heard it. I want you to make a point to remember that right there, okay? You're going to see a lot of symbols today. You started seeing symbols from the palm fronds. 
from the waving of the hands, a symbol of your hands being waved before the Lord. Let no one eat fruit from you ever again, talking to the fig, the, the fig tree. And then Jesus goes and he cleanses the temple. Look at this in verse 15. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares, goods to be sold and bartered with, through the temple. Now, then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests who had the most to lose from the money not being changed because the chief priest would get a percentage of everything that came through. And so it was his, to a, his advantage to keep goods being sold and manipulated and resold in the house of prayer. Sought now how they might destroy him for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out to the city. Now, I'm going to give you some, a type and shadow of what you just saw right here of Jesus going in and cleansing the temple on this specific week before the Day of Atonement following the Day of Selection of the Lamb. Tracking with me? You'll get it. You can always go back and listen. But a type and a shadow is something that took place in the Old Testament. It was a literal, physical principle and things that God designed, ordered to do, to get it into the mind of his people, the Hebrews, so that they would understand that in the New Testament, when these things took place, they would take place on a spiritual level and not merely on a physical level. For instance, the Passover of the Exodus, who one day Jesus would be the Passover lamb. You tracking? Spiritual, literally physical, let's slaughter this lamb for our house. That's one. And so here in Leviticus 16, this is when God is first giving Moses the direction of how this sacrificial moment, this atonement, the atonement uh, experience must take place in the temple. This was actually the tabernacle at this time. You see this in Leviticus 16. And so God tells Moses to tell Aaron because Aaron would be the Levite, the priest who would perform all the duties and the lineage of all these duties that must continue for the, the duration of time must come through the family, the lineage of Aaron. So God is giving Moses, Aaron's brother, I mean Moses, direction to give to Aaron Moses' brother. In Leviticus 16.3, it says, Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. Let me give you a picture. So the, there in, as you would enter in, there's an outer court, then there's an inner court, there's a holy place, and then there's a most holy place behind the veil. There's a most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant. Anybody seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, okay. Same concept, different Ark. 
the real Ark of the Covenant was back behind the veil. The, the veil. And so in order for Aaron, a priest, anyone, in fact, if anyone went in and it wasn't this way, they would die immediately. So Aaron, by God's direction, design, must take a bull, slaughter it, take its blood into the most holy place after cleansing himself and putting on ceremonial clothes, go in and sprinkle the blood of this bull around the most holy place and on the Ark of the Covenant. The lid of the Ark of the Covenant is called the mercy seat. Again, a lot of symbolism in there that I can't explore today. The mercy seat. So blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat and he would take the incense of the ram and he would hold it like this. He would shake it around so the incense would clean the room. This purpose was for a cleansing of the most holy place before the sacrificial lamb would be brought in. And so look at verse 6, 16.6. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. You see, Aaron had to have a sin offering before him for himself and his family to make atonement for his, himself and his house, his family. He had to do that before he could go and get the sacrificial lamb for the whole fam- for the whole family, the nation of Israel. Y'all tracking? So when Jesus does this, because he is doing his priestly duty on the week that atonement would come, the day after Palm Sunday, selection day, there must be a cleansing of the temple in order for the sacrificial lamb to come in and be sacrificed. So Jesus goes in, he doesn't need the blood of a bull because he's sinless. And he cleanses the temple for the sake of the people, you and I. He cleanses it of, I'll show you in a minute, think about the fig tree, hold on to that. Day three, that was day two, sundown, sleep, Bethany, with, uh, with Lazarus and in the house of, of Mary and Martha and the disciples rested there. Day three, Tuesday, Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. Here Jesus gave the Olivet, the Olivet Discourse, an elaborate prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the day, age. Dude, you just had the whole city in an uprising, both Jews, zealots, and Rome, because you came in on a donkey with coats on it, kingly, in a king's court. You came in with people waving and throwing down palm fronds. And you, you now are coming in. It's the selection day. There's the deliverance at heart. There is the king, this insurrection against the Roman Empire. It's tense enough. And now you're talking about the destruction of Jerusalem? I mean, somebody surely said, bro, you've gone too far. It's time to bring it back a few notches. You're going to scare people. So not only that, he's talking about the end times. He's speaking, as usual, in parables and using a symbolic language. And some of the things that I'm going to show you are symbolic language. I've already shown you some symbolic language, which Jesus uses all throughout Scripture about the destruct. I'm sorry, about the end times events, including his second coming and the final judgment. These are tense conversations, and a week like this. We're supposed to be celebrating. You're talking about destruction. And some people are starting to wonder, I don't think this is the right Messiah. 
because I don't see him organizing an army and, and bringing in militant mentality to take on this oppressor. This, I don't think he's the one. Rome, like, like you did with all the other ones, you just need to get rid of this guy. And so Judas Iscariot, who is a zealot, who, remember, is focused on this king, this Lord of Lords, who's riding in on a white horse, who will prepare an army. That's the, that's the zealot mentality. Judas Iscariot says, mm, Tuesday. Oh, he's giving that all of it discourse. I'm going to go hang out with the Sanhedrin. And this is when Judas begins to negotiate the life of Jesus with the Sanhedrin. All right, yeah, he's not the one. And in fact, it's believed that Judas was known for taking money, though he was the treasurer. He was known for taking money around this point, And he didn't like that, that, that Mary had come in and broke, the woman had broke the, the, the perfume, the expensive perfume over Jesus because of the money that could be made. Why? Because it's likely Judas was taking some of the money to feed and invest his own zealot movement because he realized, mm-mm, this isn't the one we're looking for. So it's easy for him to hand over to the Sanhedrin this Jesus. But little did Jesus know, did Judas know that he was playing into the hand of destiny and eternity so that on the days to come, the sacrificial lamb would indeed be sacrificed and become king for, the whole, for all the nations. So Judas had to do what he did. It was to our benefit that Judas... The Sicario did what he did. Mark 11, 20, 21, the lesson of the withered fig tree. Remember that fig tree that Jesus spoke to and said, hey, you're not going to bear fruit anymore. No more will anybody eat from you. Get ready for the symbol. Now in the morning as they pass by, the disciples, it's the next day, Tuesday, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And if anybody in this house went to the Freedom Conference in February and understands freedom, you don't deal with the, root, the fruit of the issues of people's problems. You got to get down to the root if you're going to handle that thing. So the tree didn't wither from the fruit down to the roots. It withered from the roots. And Peter remembered, saying to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you have cursed has withered away. Y'all ready? Got your spiritual eyes open? Okay. So I'm going to take this a little step further. Do you remember, talk about this next week, when Jesus resurrected and Mary, and Mary, they run to the tomb, it's open, and they see this man outside, and they say, hey, what did you do with Jesus' body? And they recognized him as the gardener, not as Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus. Where does a garden, gardener do his work? Does everybody agree that the gardener does his work in the garden? We're getting there. So remember in the beginning, in the, gen in the book of Genesis, it all started Where? In a garden, and in the garden there were two trees. One was, there were many trees, but two specifically. One was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in understanding that tree, that good, our good is just as evil as evil. You get it? 
wrong tree. And then there stood the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, yes? And yet there's the gardener who shows up after the resurrection. And in that moment, whenever he withered, he's talked to the fig tree and he says, you will not bear fruit anymore. The next thing he does is goes to the temple and he rids it of its religiosity. And he's creating, he's bringing in an empire a nation of people, a kingdom that if the people would just live their kingdom, it would change the oppressors, it would change the oppression, it would lift the oppression, and you never had to deal with the oppressors. It's hiding in plain sight, and nobody could see it. Of course, it's nothing like today. So the tree of life is standing there, communicating to the tree of knowledge of good and evil and said, hey, your way has taken place long enough. Your efforts have, have never bore good fruit. Your religious behaviors have never done anything to produce life. You will no longer exist. And he curses it. It withers from its roots up and the tree of life begins to reveal itself. A few days later, we see Jesus as the tree of life as he hangs on the cross. Because Jesus goes to the cross so that you and I could have eternal life. He defeated death so we would never have to. In him, we would never have to be concerned about death. Because Galatians says, cursed is he who hangs on the tree. And Jesus did this so that we could have an inheritance. We could have grace, the tree of life. Jesus, in his upcoming days, would show us this picture and give us this access to life. And Jesus reveals and the things that take place that he's, he's showing us. Look at Revelation 22. I won't, it's not on there. But it says in verse 2 of 22, says, In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves with this tree of the tree were for healing of the nations. And I'm just going to give you this real quick because you know if someone is living in the tree of life and connected to the tree of life because their life is just bearing fruit in all seasons. But you also know those people who are living from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so many of us try to reside in that place of good. I'm a good person. They're a good person. I do good. But good in the context of the Bible is just as off as evil. Because good is the competition. It is the, the, the next, it is the most adverse thing to God. Because we stay stuck to it, thinking that we're doing good and thinking we're giving it our best effort. And we think and we think and we think. And we're oftentimes making choices out of being good rather than being connected to the tree of life and letting his kingdom flow through us and choosing to do it his way with humility. Those are the people that are bearing fruit in all seasons. Those are the people who are bringing and should be bringing healing to the nations. It says the leaves, there the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. Is what's hanging off of your tree bringing healing to others? 
Or are you just doing good enough? You're just trying to believe some good. He says, and there shall be no more curse. Remember, but the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. Jesus is the Messiah, and he did come to bring his people out of bondage, and he did come to bring victory. Jesus did come to defeat an enemy of God's people. Jesus did come to defeat death, but the enemy of God's people is not another people. It's this tree that we tend to live out of that is the knowledge of good and evil. We call that evil and this good. And sometimes we get connected to one or the other. We think we're doing good because we're not doing evil. And we're missing everything that gives life. And we're wondering what's wrong with our lives. What Jesus will do in the upcoming days on the cross did not cause an uprising to defeat a human people group. What Jesus does on the cross is initiate a plan to empower his people, for his followers to overcome evil with his empowering grace, his freedom, his wisdom. Hiding in plain sight, he caused a rebellion that nobody noticed because he was He wasn't kingly enough. He wasn't earthly enough. But he would put principles out there and teach principles and show us principles that if we just applied them, life around us would change. The tree of life. Revelations 2, 7 says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the, what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let me pray for you. Best question you can ask is, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Today, this week, Holy Spirit, help each and every one of us to bring in that sacrificial lamb into our house. Today on Selection Day, let it be that we select the lamb of life, that he also not only our deliverer, but he be our king. Let it be that we come down out of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. start to hang out in this tree of life, eating from its fruit, 
and that it's evidence is fruitfulness in our souls, in our spirit, in our emotions, in our marriages, in our families, the new strategies we get from the tree of life to engage in our children's lives, to handle our finances, the strategies we get from the tree of life to handle relationships God's way instead of the good way. Learning how to forgive and love and bless and strengthen and restore. Father, right now, I just ask that you do a work on our root system. And whatever you're identifying in our hearts that we must let go of to live this fulfilled life. I pray for an empowering grace over each individual's life to hand those things over, to stop the struggle, stop the fight, stop the do-good behaviors, and to just go low, laying their palm fronds down before you so that you can be their king. Father, I pray for hope and joy to be restored. I pray for wisdom to be poured out over every one of your people. And I pray that your people see what has been hidden in plain sight and take their eyes off of who they propose to be that enemy. Will you just open your palm fronds up towards the Lord in a receiving fashion? And just let him pour out more grace. More grace this week as we prepare for Friday, Saturday, and the resurrection of Sunday. We receive, Holy Spirit. We need you. We need your guidance, your comforting, your counsel, your teaching, your helping, so that we can see and live the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.